0: Hi folks, Tris here. Thanks for listening to Modem Prometheus, and thanks especially to all of you who have joined our Patreon. We don't run ads, so the whole podcast is supported by you. If you'd like to help out, head over to patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus. Members get behind-the-scenes notes, early access, bonus episodes, and a lot more exciting stuff. Today's story is called Minor Characters, and is for everyone who's ever wanted to change the world.
1: Have you worked out who I am yet? I haven't made it obvious, I know. Any clues you may think you have spotted were entirely unintentional. Modem notes. She's going to deny it, but she knows all the same. So let me tell you a couple of things about me. Two truths and a lie. I've been here a long time. Ever since the first house sprung up at a crossroads. I was once the queen of the mud. I love you. I love every one of you. Like a heart loves its beat. Like a vein loves its blood. And tonight, I have one more story for you. Tonight, when light and dark are balanced perfectly on a pivot. When summer hands over to autumn. When the harvest moon rises fat and orange over the hulking mass of the ridge. It's hunt night, and there's only one place to be on hunt night. So it's time we went to the Crown and Anchor. Maham is already there, drinking a glass of wine with Andrew Graham. Neither of them are hunting tonight. Andrew Graham because he sprained his ankle, and Maham because her son has gone, and she doesn't want to cramp his style. She's hoping he'll use her absence to finally make a move on his friend Annie, who he's gone to every hunt with. Annie is a killer, and Maham approves. How long? She asks. Andrew Graham consults his watch. When he attends the hunt, he is what they call the starting gun, the one who unleashes the runners at precisely the right moment, after the artillery has stopped the hunt's charge. Here with a pint of Hunter's Best in front of him and his foot up on a chair. He still keeps time. 27 minutes, he says. They're probably still trying to avoid talking to Jasper. Maham shakes her head. Clown of a man. The pub is busy despite the late hour. Precious doesn't close the bar on hunt night and even the ones who know nothing about the hunt will know to take advantage. Over there is a stunningly beautiful woman with long blonde hair, sat alone with a glass of wine and tapping into her phone, messaging her friend who is saying, yes, I know, I'm on the way, buy me a gin. Over there is a woman who, for the first time in a very long time, has her hair in green pigtails and is wearing a nose ring, and she keeps looking around nervously, waiting for someone to say, no, you can't do that. You wear a suit now, it's not you. With her, a man with short grey hair is buying tequila and saying happily that it is a terrible idea. And in the corner, unnoticed, almost more wall panel than woman, is Modem Prometheus. She hides behind her laptop, the screen raised like a shield. She's not really looking at it. It's showing a Twitter feed she hasn't scrolled in an hour. Her only companions are a large gin and tonic and an almost performative moroseness, as if she wants people to notice that she wants to be ignored. I sit down next to her. Hello. Jasper waits. They are meant to partner, the shooters. One fires, one reloads. Keep the air filled with iron. But no one partners with Jasper. That's okay, he says, and smacks a belly which is itself the size of a regular man. Enough of me for two. And he laughs, because what else can you do? And the others say, that's right, Jasper. And you got it, Jasper. And then they hurry away. They've got some new faces in the hunt today, and some regulars. The boy Mustafa, Jasper, remembers his first hunt this time last year. He's come to all of them since, him and that girl he hangs around with. She seems far more enthusiastic than is healthy, but Jasper doesn't know how to bring this up. Then there's a kid called Rich, clearly new. Acting like he was confident, but definitely acting. Jasper had spent a decade in the Crickclade Park Amateur Dramatic Society, cursed to be capable of a brilliant King Henry, but never allowed to play anyone but Falstaff, and he knows when he sees a performance. First timer, eh? he'd asked, seeing Rich. No, Richard said, in the manner of one conditioned to never show a weakness. I've done loads. Of course you have. think I remember you now, I come to think. Guess you're looking after the newbies in the charge, then. Up round that corner? Rich looked at Jasper, trying to find something mocking behind his friendly smile, but there was nothing to see. Yeah, he said. Yeah. Jasper remembers Rich stealing glances toward Mustafa and Annie as he went to join the runners. He clearly knew them, but was too nervous to go and talk. He wonders if they bully the poor boy. Something doesn't feel right tonight. Something hasn't felt right about this hunt since the start. There's always a tightness on a hunt night. The air sticky with anticipation, but tonight it almost cuts. Jasper feels like his nerves are threaded on razor wire. He wonders if they're even in the right place usually modem prometheus tweeted the hunts path but this time the account was silent instead andrew graham had calculated the position based on where the last hunts had been he'd done a blog post using words like cyclical and time series which jasper had not understood jasper checks his shotgun for the 15th time it's an old model single barrel 410 bore built for pest control. Below, he sees people filing inside and bolting their doors. He thumbs around into the barrel, but leaves the gun broken. The light wind drifts into silence. Jasper snaps the gun closed and raises it to his shoulder. Wait, he mutters to himself. Wait. And then the silence is broken. And things start to go extremely wrong. Far across the city, in an office so high people are too small to be seen from its windows, the product manager is working late. From here he can see the full spread of the streets. A golden filigree web, a nebula, of jewels and stardust. Rising above it all, the dark wave of the ridge, like some great tsunami frozen in time, that could at any second submerge the lights below. And on that ridge, the blazing red eyes of the transmitter mast, four of them in a single vertical line, an arrow to the angels, a runway to space. He isn't looking at any of that. Instead, he divides his time between the spec for the latest demon requested by Upstairs, an app showing a city map covered in dozens of green and yellow pulsing circles, and the WhatsApp conversation he's having with Alice, who has just delivered her final takeaway of the evening. I'm done, Alice sends, all caps for emphasis. Open the wine, I'm on my way. You heading home now? The PM replies. You home yet? Yeah. You mean no. I mean no. Angry face. If you're going to work for Devil Corp, you could at least just do your contract hours. The product manager designs abominations. Upstairs puts in the request. He creates the specifications, writes the tickets, and manages the product with the summoning engineers, whose job it is to make the ritual that carves the demon out from the ether. It's not where he expected his history degree to take him, but it also paid off his entire student loan in about a year. He doesn't know what upstairs does with most of what he builds for them, and he doesn't ask. They're just tools, it's not his problem after it's been shipped. He knows Alice disapproves, She's brought it up enough times, dropped enough comments about other jobs she thinks he'd be good at. But it's hard to argue with a pile of money quite that big. He taps in another message. I won't be long. Sorry. You need to be careful. I met this cutie tonight and he's followed me for two deliveries. The PM's phone dings to show a picture of a black cat with big eyes, hopeful whiskers, and a collar with a tag that reads... Pepsi. He thought you'd give him someone's chicken, he types. He wasn't wrong. There is a pause, then another message from Alice comes in. I'm not far away. I'll come to your office, then we'll go home. Cool. Love you. Love you too. He sighs. He knows he shouldn't be here, as late as it is. He stopped being able to think about the spec properly hours ago. But Upstairs wanted it done. And what Upstairs wants, Upstairs gets. He looks again at the map on his computer screen. This isn't work. It's his own side project. Alice delivers takeaways fast by taking shortcuts through the back roads. Here, he can see every gate to the back roads in real time, along with how dangerous it currently is. Most of this app isn't really his. A couple of months ago, one of the projects Upstairs sent down was for a daemon which could access an abandoned GitHub repo called Modem Prometheus. It was locked down with every bit of security GitHub could provide, and several other bits GitHub definitely didn't. It had been cracked, of course. It was trivial to make a daemon that laughed at quantum cryptography. But the PM had been curious about the civilian who could deploy tech like that. He'd taken a copy of the contents to investigate himself. Upstairs would disapprove, but wouldn't care as long as none of it became public. Inside, he'd found this code. He still isn't entirely sure how all of it works. All he did was stick a UI over the top, but he has it open every night Alice is out. One of her co-workers was taken by a hound a few months ago. The official line is the hounds don't leave the back roads, but... No one really believes that. You're in late. He starts. Someone is in his office doorway. About his age, dark, frizzy hair, stupid expensive suit. Upstairs. Oh, um, yes. Things to finish off. I didn't think anyone else was here. He takes off his glasses and polishes them, as if hoping the woman will be gone when he puts them back. She's still there with a, you're cute when you're nervous, smile. There's always someone upstairs. She holds out her hand. Emily. Hi, uh, nice to meet you, um. The product manager isn't sure how to talk to upstairs when they're not behind a desk. Emily smiles at him. She quite enjoys having this effect on people. She turns to look at the spread of the city. Pretty isn't it? I guess. Emily rolls her eyes. You don't need to be quite so stoic. Men are allowed to think things are pretty, you know. PM walks over to the window with her, but keeps his distance. He isn't sure whether this is flirting, or if it is, what he should do about it and he has a nasty feeling that being wrong about either of those things could mean he doesn't have a job by the end of tonight. Sure. I just never really thought about it like that. Huh. Don't know how you couldn't. When I was a kid, mum would take me up to the top floor of our block and we'd look out at all the lights while we ate Chuck Ices. That, uh sounds nice emily shrugs all i knew at the time views better here she turns to look at him i'd hang around for another couple of hours if i were you going to be wild out there tonight really the pm has a vision of a grumpy rain-splattered alice stomping into reception I don't remember the weather forecast saying anything was coming. Not the weather. The PM had quickly minimised his map when Emily came in. If he hadn't done so, he would have seen every single circle suddenly turn an angry, painful red. Alice doesn't want to deliver takeaways. Alice wants to build things. She lives for the feeling of a wrench in an engine, of a circuit completed with solder, of metal teeth slicing through unvarnished wood. She does all of these things, whenever she can, but she hasn't yet worked out how to make a living with them. The takeaways help her mark time while she solves that problem. Not that the job is without its benefits. One of those benefits is right now insistently headbutting her right chin and meowing for attention. She scoops up Pepsi who starts purring like a distant earthquake. You don't stay up all night working for capitalistic sociopaths, do you? she asks. No you don't. You're far too smart for that. Yes you are. Pepsi gives a contented mew. I guess I should go get the idiot boy then. Alice says, scritching Pepsi behind the ears. And you should probably go home. Pepsi gives a less contented mew, as if to say he has no intention of leaving the person who hands out chicken. No, really, I don't know where you live. Hey! Pepsi suddenly leaps up at her, climbing onto her shoulder. He is looking toward the junction and growling. Alice looks up as moped engines cut through the night, and a whole convoy of hounds of love begins to pour into the street. Jasper isn't a man built for moving fast, but he's the first one on the street after the screaming starts. He rounds the corner to find five bodies. Clearly bodies are not people people come in less pieces. The hounds that were here were mostly already gone, scattered and chasing the ones who got away. Three remain, circling a group of new hunters, bladed fingers ticking along the asphalt like a whole box of bombs. Off their mopeds they move far more like animals, a swaying, almost simian gait, a buzz of chattering static through the air. The hunters look like kids, maybe 20 years old at most. One is trying to shield the others behind him, but there's only one of him and a full circle of hounds around them. One is crying, all of them first-timers. They didn't know this wasn't how it was supposed to go. It's far from all the hunters who had waited in the charge here. Mustapha and Annie aren't there. Many have escaped, though escaped, Jasper knows, is a rather less accurate term than still running. The hounds are here to hunt. If they don't get to chase, what's the point? Movement catches the corner of his eye. He whips around, raising his gun, only to find he doesn't have his gun. He left it, dropped it, idiot man, it's still in that room. Thankfully, this isn't a hound. It's rich, pressed against the wall, still clinging to the baseball bat he came with, too scared to scream. Jasper looks again at the circling hounds. One of the hunters catches his eye, mouths. Please. But there are three hounds, and only one Jasper, and he doesn't have a knife, and he doesn't have his gun, and even if he did, he doesn't think he'd do more than give the hounds an appetiser. When the others come, he thinks, we'll have numbers, we can help. But when he looks back, the street is quiet, and the doors are locked. It is then Jasper realises he isn't the first. He is the only The other hunters, with their knives and their guns, they have stayed inside, out of reach of the monsters. And so, faced with the terrible choice between doing what he thinks any decent person should, and only doing what he can, Jasper does what he can, grabbing Rich from the wall and dragging him away. He thinks he will be haunted by the screams he hears behind him for some time. who I am? I ask Modem Prometheus. Annoying, she says, as she stares sullenly at her Twitter feed. She still hasn't scrolled it. It still hasn't moved. You're annoying. I shrug. I can be, it's true. You're in a lot of the stories I tell. I don't know you. I know you. I know everyone. Great. You're not just annoying, you're cryptic. Fine, I'll bite. Who do you tell stories to? Anyone who listens. And why am I in them? To be honest, you just keep turning up. You never set out to tell a story about you. But there you are, in the background. A minor character, Modem says bitterly. Seems about right. You used to broadcast the Backroads forecast. Then you stopped. People ignored it. You made a wiki about the things people don't like to think about. Then you stopped updating it. No one was reading it. You ran the Twitter account showing the hunt location. But you've not tweeted anything for months. They ran hunts before and they're running them now. Didn't make any difference. Precious comes over with an estuary Mai Tai. It's gin, cut with river water, garnished with wasteland blackberries, mud smeared across the rim and served in a dome filled with dragon smoke. Get that woman another glass of wine, I say, gesturing to Maham. She's going to have a rough night. Yes, ma'am. Precious gives a little bow modem prometheus is staring at me i sip my drink a long time ago i say a single stone was taken from a stone circle and placed on the ridge the transmitter mast stands in that spot now what's left of that circle is in precious's basement this pub was built over the top you should ask him to see it sometime modem keeps staring Eventually she slaps her laptop shut and moodily drinks her gin. I catch Precious's eye. We'll need another one of those too. Transmitter tower, she mutters. Transmitter masts are held up by guys. Transmitter towers are self-supporting. How interesting. I wait, but she doesn't respond. I do know who you are, she says eventually. I've lived in you all my life. You really think I wouldn't recognise you? You'd be surprised. Modem puts her head on the table. You want to know why I stopped? Because I thought I could make a difference. I thought I could help. I thought I could come in and be the hero. But you're right. I was never anything other than a minor character. I thought I could make a difference, but turns out I can't, alright? It was a dumb thing to do, so I stopped. Mmm. I lean forward. Do you know what's happening out there tonight? Here is what's happening. In the crown and anchor, Maham is looking nervously at her phone. Mustafa should have checked in by now. The hunters should be heading home, but her screen is silent, dark. Mustafa and Annie are scrambling over some park railings. Mustafa is bleeding from his right arm and has lost his great grandfather's bayonet. He buried it to the hilt in the head of a hound that went for Annie. The creature had screeched like a broken radio, staggered backwards, but then kept moving. Alice pounds her way towards the skyscrapers. She can see them in the distance, great, glittering tombstones, starlit monuments to money and enterprise. She would find them beautiful if she didn't know what happened inside. But she has no time for appreciation, because the hounds have her scent. Pepsi, meanwhile, snoozes in the pannier bag he was unceremoniously dumped into. 150 feet above the ground, Emily mentions casually to the PM that she has a bottle of whiskey in her office that's older than either of them. Jasper is saying to Rich urgently, The time, the time. I always tell them you need to have a watch, you need to synchronise, but Jasper doesn't have a watch and he doesn't have his gun. He has nothing but the brain in his head and he has an idea but he needs the time. Alice crests Red Post Hill and pushes hard to build, speed coming down the rise. There is only a second to feel exhilaration before she notices two more hounds waiting at the bottom of the hill. She skids her bike into a side street and the wheel slips out from underneath her, sending her tumbling. She barely has time to pick herself up before a hound swings in behind her and guns its engine, switchblade fingers raised to cut her into pieces. Pepsi leaps in front of her and hisses at the hound. Alice does not know who Pepsi's owner is. The hound does know, and instantly pulls out of the attack and accelerates away from any suggestion that it might have been about to hurt the cat. Alice decides not to question it, climbs back on the bike, grabs Pepsi and keeps moving. When we get out of this, she says, I'm going to cook an entire chicken just for you. The PM has never been this high upstairs. He wonders how much farther there is to go. It's still a long way to the penthouse. Emily is sitting on her desk, swirling a measure of whiskey, which would put a dent in even the PM's very considerable salary. The PM isn't really one for whiskey, but even he has to admit this is delicious. It tastes of malt and honey and moonrise and radio waves he doesn't know how he knows that but he does this is incredible he says should be emily says smiling it's matured in the back roads we're still in the testing phases the first bottles won't be ready for market for another 15 years but i'd say it's going well absolutely the pm is trying not to gawk at emily's office It's the kind of thing he didn't think existed outside of movies. Palatial art-lined walls. A drinks cabinet you can walk into. One wall, incongruously, as an aerial photograph of a council estate. That's where I grew up. Emily sees him looking. I guess you should always remember where you came from. The PM says, thinking of his own family's home in the suburbs. For sure. It's motivation. Every day I look at it and think how much I don't want to go back. Oh, Emily raises her glass toward him. Anyhow, cheers. You're lucky you hung around tonight. I don't often break out the properly good stuff. Special occasion? Big project coming to fruition tonight. Lots more to do, but this is the end of stage one. My part's over now. What, uh, what is it you do? The PM feels embarrassed asking this, but he's never been entirely sure what upstairs does. They ask him for things, and he delivers. His is not to reason why. I make markets. Oh, I see. The PM does not see but he doesn't want to seem stupid by questioning it. He thinks Emily notices, but is too nice to say so directly. Hey, she says. Do you want to see the product? Rich had come to the hunt because of Mustafa. Rich is smart. He knows he's smart. He aced every test in every subject without trying until Stephen Crocker noticed. Now, he's careful. Makes sure he gets scores that cover a wide range of the alphabet. He knows that in his crowd, it's not smart to be smart. Instead, he used his brain in a way Stephen approved of. He found targets and made them cry. Mustafa was a good target. Quiet. Minority. Different. He'd grown a thicker skin over the years, but still. Rich could see when his words had cut. And so could everyone else. And then Mustafa had gone on a hunt. After that, it wasn't even like Mustafa had retaliated. He would just brushed it off like Rich didn't matter. His friend Annie had retaliated. After one comment too many, Annie had smiled, walked up to Rich's desk, slammed a compass so hard into the desk next to his hand that the laminate had cracked, and told him that if he said another word, the next one would go into his dick. Rich thinks Annie has some issues she needs to work through. Mustafa just wasn't scared anymore. Rich, who still hung in Stephen's crowd because the alternative made him feel sick, Very much wanted not to be scared. He hadn't considered the reason Mustafa wasn't scared anymore was because he'd found somewhere else to put all the fear. And so Rich had come to the hunt. No one told him how to find it. He'd worked it out for himself. Because he was smart. And he could. But you didn't have to be as smart as Rich to know the train line Jasper was pulling him onto hadn't been there yesterday. Wasn't here five minutes ago, Jasper says with a cheerfulness Rich is sure as the front. Good thing you had the time. I always tell them I do. You need to know the time. This is nuts, Rich mutters as he scrambles over the railings. This is nuts, man. What the fuck? He keeps muttering as they pick their way down the train line. Jasper is sweating like meat in the sun, both from exertion and fear. He thinks they'll be safe on the track, but he doesn't know it, and he can hear the moped engines roaring up and down the roads. Jasper has never been chased by a hound before. He was aware of them, of course. It had become hard not to be, recently. And he'd noticed the wild hunt, the ones he'd always thought of as the wild hunt. With their strange beasts and steaming purple swords, he'd noticed the crowd getting thinner with every hunt he went on. He hadn't made the connection that something else was starting to fill their niche. Rich is still muttering, occasionally choking back tears. It's okay, Jasper says. Nothing wrong with being scared. I'm not scared, Rich snaps. I'm fine. Well then, good thing one of us is, because I'm terrified jesper laughs they're silent for a few minutes still moving step after careful step you uh got any hobbies Jasper asks eventually what hobbies in my day we listen to records and go out dancing bike riding all old hat now i expect rich has read the complete works of jane austen three times and has written several pieces of well-received fan fiction He says, I don't know, nothing really. Ah, everyone should have an hobby. People say to me, they say, Jasper, I'm bored. What should I be doing? And I tell them you should get a hobby. I joined a theatre group years ago. Would you believe it? Me, amateur dramatics. But it got me out the house, you know. Jasper pauses briefly, looking at old ghosts got pretty good at it i did yeah rich isn't sure where this conversation is going or if he is in fact just following a madman into the deeper dark i did really enjoyed it and it helped as well after my amy died because i knew how to act and i could act like i wasn't so bothered like i was okay and the lads at the crown and anchor it stopped them being all awkward around me made them feel better but I wasn't just acting there I was acting everywhere even at home all alone I was acting to myself like it was okay but I wasn't and that almost ended badly point is don't get caught up playing a role not good for you not good at all Rich doesn't say anything just follows in Jasper's wake Eventually, he asks. Do you, like, still actin' shit? Sometimes, sometimes. Hard habit to get out of. Jasper sniffs. Those bastards never did let me play King Henry, though. Here, Emily hands the PM something small, black and sleek. It's about the size of his thumb, and looks like a scaled-down version of something aliens might arrive in. It doesn't seem to have any switches, but when Emily takes it back, brushes a hand over the tip, it lights up radar green and pulses gently. What is it? The PM asks. A short-range, low-power transmitter. You can charge it kinetically, go for a walk every day, and it can stay on basically forever. And personally coded. This one's coded to me. So it'll only work for me. What does it transmit? I'll show you. She leads him to another part of the building. They're in what the PM recognizes as a research wing, downstairs of his own office. The place is full of sealed labs and machinery. He doesn't want to say as much, but he finds it quite quaint. He's never found a machine that can outperform one of the demons his team produces. Your team were involved in it, actually, Emily says, as her shoes clicked across the floor like bones were snapping beneath them. Really? Oh, yes. You might not remember. We asked you to acquire the Modem Prometheus repo? Oh. Yes, I remember. That was you? Yeah. Mum used to talk about this Modem Prometheus character sometimes. I don't know if they were a friend of hers or what. Probably not. Something to do with those silly hunts she went on. They go into some kind of cell. Plain white walls and brightly lit. There's the door they came in. Another door on the facing wall and nothing else. Emily switches off the device. Stay behind me she says. This is very important. What are you- Holy Christ! The other door has opened, revealing a hound of love. Its blank, hooded head instantly whips towards the pair of them, and the blades of its hands make screeching noises on the floor as it prepares to leap. Emily switches the device on, and it's like the hound has been whipped. From looking like a predator ready to pounce, suddenly it is shrinking back against the far wall. As Emily approaches it, it pushes itself further into a corner, trying to climb the walls in an attempt to get further away. Emily smirks and walks back out of the hound's room, easily turning her back on the cowering thing, shutting the door behind her. The original signal came from the repo, Emily says as she locks up. We've made adjustments to it, of course. It seemed to make them uncomfortable before. But it didn't create that kind of abject fear which is going to be important for the phase three marketing campaign soon we'll have production ramped up and we'll start getting them into distributors and after tonight we'll be able to charge pretty much what we like what's happening tonight well Our first thought was to go enterprise, try to get contracts off of companies like Eat Now that use the back roads, but we didn't think they'd be willing to pay the kind of price per worker that we could generate from individual sales. But to generate a large audience, you need to make people believe they have a problem. And while the hounds would occasionally cross over, it didn't happen that often. So I've had all the gateways shoved open for a night, I think it's the first mass extrusion event. Emily opens her hands out, then brings them together. Product. Market. Fit. The PM is trying to pretend to himself he didn't hear that properly. Mass. Extrusion. Event. Yes, not easy. Politics, negotiation, lots of stakeholders to accommodate. And of course, the technical side. Your team was a big help there too. I didn't honestly think we'd be able to hit every gateway, but the demon you crafted was superb. Oh, um, I'm glad. The PM isn't sure what would happen if Emily knew his true feelings about this but he doesn't think it's a good idea to find out. Um, I've not been to this floor before. Is there a bathroom somewhere nearby? Emily points him down the hall. The PM gets in, immediately phones Alice, and when she doesn't pick up, sends her several messages telling her to get off the streets, get off them, get off them now, then can't hold it in anymore and throws up into a sink. At the Crown and Anchor, some of the hunters have made it back. And they said, the hunt didn't come. They said, they came. The mopeds came. And Maham whimpers, scrambling for her phone to try and call her son again. But there's no answer, no answer, just like the last three times she tried. Andrew Graham sits with a face pale as static, thinking no, no, could I have seen that? Could I have known? And he never could have done. His numbers were fine, but they do not predict the whims of the skyscrapers. The woman with green pigtails and her grey-haired friend have left. They don't know what's happening and they don't know what's out there, but they know people have just staggered in, dripping blood like wine, and this doesn't feel like a safe place to be. It is a safe place to be, the safest place to be on a night like this, but they cannot know this, they cannot know. The beautiful woman is trying to stay calm, and her friend, who has now arrived, who could be her twin, says, it's okay, it's okay, be calm, please. And the beautiful woman is trying to be calm, trying so hard she thinks her skin might burst. But it's hard when you know that if these people find out what you are, they'll kill you. "'And you?' I ask Modem Prometheus. "'What about you?' She looks in horror at the broken hunters who have staggered in, at Maham trying her phone again, at Precious fetching bandages and salve. "'I need to do something,' she says, opening the laptop and bringing up a map. "'I need to... I don't know what to do!' I put a hand on her arm. It's okay, I say. Your part's already done. Rich doesn't know how far they've walked down the train line. It feels like miles, but that might just be the fear. The track carves a slow, sweeping curve, and there are no landmarks to judge the distance. About here, I think. Jasper says, pointing to the next bridge. Just a couple of streets from there to the Crown, if I've got myself right. How did you know what to do? Rich asks finally. How did you know about this? This place? I read about it. You're on the hunt. You must know Modem Prometheus, right? Yeah, Rich says, relieved not to need to lie about something. I mean, I found the Twitter account. I know that's what people always looked for. Looked dead, though. Nothing on it for months. It's true. It's true. I don't know what happened. I never met them. Never really knew who they were. It's a shame. I always said that. Anyhow, it wasn't just Twitter. They put stuff up all over the place. About all the, uh, all the, all the weird shit? Rich suggests.
0: Yes, exactly
1: that. One of the things they wrote about was this train line. It's entirely off grid. Off every grid. Apparently it's about removing the unproductive. And I don't entirely know what that means, but I read about it and I thought, Jasper, if ever something happens when you need an escape route, well, this might be a good bet. So I checked it out and there it was. Never had to use it before now, mind. It was a good idea. Rich says. I think so. It's what I always tell them. I say, you got to have a plan, got to know your exit. I always tell them. He pauses. Not that they ever listen to me, he says, quieter. Don't think they ever have. They climb onto the bridge. The city is mercifully quiet. No engines slice the calm. As they get off the bridge, Jasper sits on a garden wall to rest. He's not suited to this much exercise in a night. A few stars poke through the streetlight from the clear sky above and the air is cold and smells of damp leaves and charcoal. For a moment, you could believe it's a gentle night. Thank you, Rich says. Thanks for uh, getting me out of there. Ah, well, I'm sure you'd do the same. Rich looks at the floor. Honestly, not sure I would. I think i would have just run no one else did either just you jasper claps rich on the shoulder as he stands up well just you remember to pass it on they are about to start moving when there is a scream from a voice they both recognize rich hefts his bat and they both hurry towards the sound turning the street corner to see what they already knew was coming Annie is lying on the road, clutching her leg and sitting in a pool of far too much blood. Mustafa stands in front of her, trying to act as a shield. And between him, Rich, and Jasper, there is a hound of love. Dismounted, the thing that looks like a hoodie when it sits on a moped turned into a ragged robe that flutters in the breeze. Occasionally, there are glimpses of muscles that look like they're made of shadow and flint. It chatters in static that sounds like laughter and faints back and forth like a cat playing with a broken bird. Give me the bat, Jasper mutters. What? Give me the bat. I'll distract it, you get the girl to the crown. It won't go in there. Once you're off, I'll lose it on the railway tracks and circle back. Rich feels like he should say something, offered to distract the hound himself. But that would mean attracting that thing's attention, and he can't do it, not yet. So he gives the bat to Jasper, and prepares to run. Jasper twirls the bat and steps forward, declaiming at the top of his voice, This story, this story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. The hound turns. It doesn't know Shakespeare, but it knows a hunt. It knows prey. It begins to prowl toward Jasper. Rich has darted back and runs headlong down a side street, going round the block and coming out next to where Annie lies. He and Mustafa take a shoulder each, as behind them Jasper says, Shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. Annie hisses curses through clenched teeth as they carry her as fast as they dare toward the crown. I'm um, sorry for saying that stuff, Rich says as they stumble forward. Not now, Mustapha says. Behind them, Jasper smashes the bat with all his weight into the side of the hound's head. It goes down, but not for long, time enough to give Jasper a few meters head start. It shakes itself and continues the hunt. The PM is waiting in the lobby when Alice walks in. Pepsi trots in beside her, proprietorily. As soon as he sees her, the PM runs up to her and pulls her into a hug. I fucked up, he says. I fucked up so much. Alice kisses him and says, Honestly? I kind of figured. The door to the crown and anchor creaks open and Rich, Mustafa and Annie stagger in. Maham doesn't even notice Annie or the bloody trail smeared behind her. She just grabs Mustafa into a hug saying, Oh my God, my boy, my baby boy. While Mustafa tries to push her off, Andrew Graham limps over, helps Rich place Annie on a bench where she can lie down. He looks at her leg, mutters something about a tourniquet. No one notices that Jasper does not come back. Precious moves over to the beautiful woman and her friend and says he has a room available if they would rather not go home tonight. Do you understand? I ask Modem Prometheus. Understand? She spits the word out like cobra venom. Understand what? That once again, I'm sat here being a useless minor character while things happen around me. You weren't useless, I say. You told Jasper about the sleeper service line. He and Rich would be dead if you hadn't. Mustafa and Annie too. I wrote that ages ago. It's not like I planned for him to find it. Anyone could have done that. But you did. You put the information out there. Then he did something with it. You made that difference. So what? You're trying to tell me minor characters matter too? No, I'm trying to tell you there's no such thing as a minor character. Modem looks at me steadily. If you say something like everyone is the hero of their own story, I'm going to punch you in the fucking mouth. I have another drink and don't say it alice and the pm are walking home the hounds are still abroad but they won't risk hurting pepsi they are aware of the very localized apocalypse that awaits them if they do i didn't know the pm says mostly to himself i didn't know what they were doing alice sighs I mean, you knew they weren't using your stuff to improve the community garden. Yeah, but I thought it was just... I don't know. Corporate espionage. That's because you're an idiot who likes to kid himself, babe. The PM is silent. It's hard to give a snarky response to something so obviously true. They might do this again, he says, glumly. Emily sounded like she was into viral marketing. Hmm. Alice is thinking. You said that signal kept the hounds away. Yeah, it was terrified. I don't know how it worked. Probably an inversion wave, like negative white noise. Clever stuff. And you got a copy of it? No, not Emily's one. I've got the original in the repo. The one that Modem Prometheus person made. I don't know how strong it is. Right. Alice looks at the transmitter mark. It's four red lights burning like a wicker man. What do you say? We go find out.
0: Modem Prometheus is written by Neil Merton. The voice of the city is Kate Angier, with music and production by me, Tris Oten. Check out my other show at lostterminal.com It's got more science and less dread Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus for bonus episodes and behind the scenes content If you're not ready for that kind of commitment please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now Modem Prometheus will be back when the stars align and the moon hangs heavy over the transmitter's glittering spire You are not a minor character We love you all